0: And the Lord is good, isn't He? Amen. And I, I don't mean to embarrass anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody, but I, I did want you to know, uh, you know, we've been praying for the family. Linda McCall's great-nephew, Greg Ritchie, passed away a short time ago, and I Just want you to know that his family is here with us today, his mom and others. And I just, just so you can put a name to that face you've been praying for. And so I, I'm not going to make them stand up or call them out or anything. But just as you uh, as you're praying for people, these are some folks you've been praying for, and and I know they appreciate that. And and so continue to pray for them. It's not an easy thing at all. And uh, many of you understand. You've been in those places, and you know what it's like to have that kind of grief. And so continue to hold them up before the Lord. I know they would appreciate that. Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. We're going to begin reading in verse 23. Exodus chapter 25. and let's look together in verse 23. <clears throat> Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold and make there to a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border of a handbreadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. Thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of shinnom wood, and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them." Thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover withal of pure gold shalt thou make them. Thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for your word, and we do ask that you would help us, Lord, to understand it and to apply it today. We pray that the Spirit of God may fill me. I need your help. And that the same Spirit of God would speak to each heart in this room and help us to take the principles that we find in the Scriptures today. So, Lord, bless this time in your word, and bless and magnify your word among your people. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, I preached a message on the veil. That curtain that went between the holy place and the holy of holies. The holy place was the place that the priests, the Levites, could minister. The Bible says, standing always and ministering there, the works of the tabernacle. But the Holy of Holies was a place only for the great high priest as he would go through that veil. And we learned in that message that that veil was torn from top to bottom when Jesus Christ was crucified on Calvary, signifying access for man to go into the presence of God. But the Bible says that that veil has not been completely removed. We see that in Jesus we have the veil of his flesh. Jesus Christ is, in fact, the way, the truth, and the life. And if we are going to enter into that holy place and go boldly to the throne of grace, we must come through Jesus. But Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the Father, says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and have you laden, and I will give you rest. Suffer the little children to come unto me. And so we have an invitation. Whosoever will may come because of what Jesus Christ did. And then I preached on the altar. The altar was outside the holy place, as if you could picture in your mind today, the tabernacle with me. The tabernacle was posts that went in a rectangular fashion and, 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 and sectioned off a courtyard, if you will. That between those fence posts, they would hang curtains of skins of animals and different things. And, but inside you would come into the court of the Gentiles. And in that court of the Gentiles, you would find, first of all, the brazen altar there in the center. It was there that they would sacrifice unto God a blood offering for the atonement of their sins. And as you go a little further, before you could go, the priest could enter into the holy place, there was the, uh, the laver there, the wash basin, where they would ceremoniously cleanse themselves before going into the holy place. Once in the holy place, you could see on the right side of the tabernacle, which by the way was always the north side, no matter where they pitched, their tent, and no matter where they placed the tabernacle, as you entered in, the right was always to the north. You would find the table of showbread. Across the room on the other side, you would find the lampstand, signifying Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And as you went a little bit further, you would find straight ahead of you the altar of incense, signifying our prayers to God. As I begin to study the The veil and the altar, I begin to become more curious about the articles of the tabernacle. And it brings us to where we are today, this table of showbread. And so I want to take some time this morning and give you a description of it and help you to understand what it may have looked like and what we can picture in our minds today. And if you can just bear with me and picture that tabernacle a little bit and notice as we enter into that holy place where only the Levites were allowed to go, and we turn to our right, we find this little table of showbread. Now, I learned some things about it, and it was interesting to me, and I, I want to give you, first of all, some descriptive terms that we find in the Scripture. In Exodus chapter 25, that's, that's about all we have is some description of it. One of the things I notice if we, can, we consider, first of all, its construction. The Bible says it was made of shittim wood, which today is called acacia wood. This was a very dense and a hard wood, and it wouldn't allow bugs to penetrate it. Termites couldn't eat it. As a matter of fact, it was so hard that it wasn't permeable by water. And so it was an appropriate material to use for people that were going to carry it around the desert for 40 years, and then they would set it up at Shiloh and later on Jerusalem. So this was an appropriate thing that they would use for a long time before the temple was ever built. Not only that, they overlaid it with gold. So I want you to think, though, first of all, of its construction made of shittim wood. And the Bible says this about it. If you look at your Bibles there, look at verse 23. It gives some dimensions, doesn't it? Now, I, I had this little table in my office, and I took my tape measure, and I measured it up because I wanted to see how close we were. And it was not what I pictured at all. The Bible says it was to be two cubits long. Now, a cubit is just under 18 inches. So if we think about 35 inches, 36 inches, it would be about 9 inches longer than this table. This table is 27 inches long. So just picture a little bit longer, 9 inches long. The Bible says that the depth of this table or the width of this table was one cubit, which is 18 inches, which this is exactly 18 inches across. Now here's the interesting thing. I wasn't so concerned about the width and the length of this table, but this is what really caught me off guard. The Bible says that the table is a cubit and a half tall. If you do the math real quick, that's 27 inches tall. This table is 26 inches tall. So it's just an inch shorter than the table of showbread. How many of you, when, you, when you've ever thought about things like this, you've heard it preached in church, you've saw it read in your Bible, and you go, "Wow, well, the table, and you picture something that's rather large. But really, it was only about that size. That's all it was. It was just a little bit longer, but the width and the height are just about the same. That's about the size of it. And the Bible says, if we think about its construction, I want you to also notice in the Scripture, its covering. Verse 24 says, it was covered in gold, which represents purity. But then look at the next verse. We see its crowning. Picture, if you will, as they constructed this table out of shittim wood and then covered it over in gold, they were to build a ridge all around that would stick up all the way around, like a rail, perhaps, to hold it things from sliding off. But that rail was to look like a crown. That speaks of the ownership of the table. It belonged to the king of kings. The ark, as it was carried around the city of Jericho, it had a visible presence of gold, a crown, that went all the way around it, just like this table. Those people in the city of Jericho must have looked down and said, "That's that's not just any box. That box belongs to a king. And this table was no different. The Bible says as we consider its construction and its, its covering and its crowning, it, we also must notice that they put staves or, or rings upon each leg and then staves that would go through and four men would pick up that table and carry So, Well, it couldn't have been very heavy. Understand it was a very dense wood. It wasn't like a pine or something that we would have here. I was in Africa and picked up a piece of ebony and found it to be very, very heavy. This wood is a very dense and heavy wood, but then the gold would add considerably to its weight. And so four men would carry it up. You and I might come over to my office someday and say, well, this is out of your office, and if we ever had to move it, you might just pick that up and throw it in the back of a truck and say, well, here we go, we'll just move that. I mean, it's five pounds or whatever it is. We're talking about the holy things of God. We don't pick them up and throw them around. As a matter of fact, you will learn if you understand, as the Israelites were to travel through the wilderness... The tent and the poles and the coverings and the skins, they were all put in ox carts. But the furniture of the tabernacle was to be carried upon their shoulders. Those things were not to bounce around in the back of an ox cart. They were special to God and they had significance. And so it was covered in pure gold and the men would carry that up. But then we also see in the Bible its contents. Contents. The Bible talks about what would go on that table and it talks about bowls and spoons and and cups and vessels and they were all made out of pure gold to pour out drink offerings before the Lord but also to have a food offering unto the Lord. And so there's a bit of a description of what we understand to be the table of showbread in the Bible. But I want to take it a step further and I want to bring you uh, some doctrinal truths out of this as well. Some doctrinal teaching. I want you to understand what the showbread or the table of showbread ha- uh, represented or what was its significance. And first of all, I want you to understand though, this. It represented communion with God. It represented, I'm going to give you some teaching for a while, then I'm going to give you a couple Bible principles. So hold on, okay? This is just teaching. I'll give you some preaching at the end. It represented a communion with God. It, it represented having a-, a connection to God. As a matter of fact, that bread that was baked, and we can read in the book of Leviticus uh, about this bread in just a moment, but this bread was baked every week. For every Sabbath day, the priests would go and they would bake this bread, and they would make them in round cakes, flat. And on each side of that table, they would stack them six high. That would be 12 cakes for the 12 tribes of Israel. That bread literally, the word show bread literally means the bread of his presence. The bread of his presence. The significance of that is meaning that when you take that bread, you are only to take it when you're in the presence of God. It speaks of communion, having a relationship with him. Turn back a chapter, if you will, in the Bible, Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24, we see an example of this type of fellowship in the Bible. If you look at verse 9 of chapter 24, the Bible very plainly says this, Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they, listen, listen to this, and they saw, they saw the God of Israel. That doesn't happen very often, folks. That people can see God and live. And so the Bible says, they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, paved work of a sapphire stone. And as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness, and upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also, they saw God, and did eat and drink. They had fellowship. They had communion together. Sometimes today, when we have the Lord's table, we will say, uh, we are having communion with the Lord. It is signifying that we are to eat this bread in his presence to know Christ and to know God and to enter into that special relationship with him. So it represented a communion, but it reminded them of their covenant. It reminded them of their covenant. Turn to Leviticus chapter 24. Keep your finger there if you would and go to Leviticus, just the next book in the Bible. Leviticus chapter 24. Verse five. Thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes therefore, thereof. Two tenth deals shall be in one cake. Thou shalt set them in the two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord, and that's what we were talking about a moment ago. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set in order before the Lord continually, listen to this, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. Understand what is going on. Perhaps it's best illustrated this way. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice regularly as a covering for their sins. It was a reminder every year of their sin, a reminder that they were constantly having to come to God and sacrifice on behalf of their sins until once and for all, the perfect lamb, Jesus Christ, came as a sacrifice for their sins and he paid the price for their sins once and for all. Well, the bread is very similar. Every week on the Sabbath, they would bake new cakes, but before they could put them on the table, 12 priests would come and they'd each pick up a cake, one for each of the tribes of Israel, and they would eat it. In communion with the Lord. As they ate that bread, they were reminded of of the bread of life, who is Jesus Christ. They're reminded that they can have a relationship with God. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter uh, that we just read, Leviticus chapter 24, I believe it is, verse 8, that it was a reminder of an everlasting covenant, that God would be their bread, that God would sustain them and bring them into eternal life if they would just learn how to trust in Him. It was significant in the fact that it was a memorial, a reminder of the covenant that they had. But I want you to notice also, not just the significance, I want you to notice its symbolism. Turn, if you will, to John chapter six. John chapter six, the Bible tells us here uh, the symbolism of what that bread really meant. And in verse 51, or verse 50 says, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread. That's Jesus speaking, which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. "'Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, "'and I will raise him up at the last day. "'For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. "'He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, "'and I in him, and the living Father hath sent me, "'and I live by the Father. "'So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. "'This is that bread which has come down from heaven. "'Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. "'He that eateth this bread shall live forever now understand jesus is not saying you literally have to eat my flesh that's not what he's talking about the whole fact that he says it's living bread he's talking making an illustration here isn't he that we eat bread for substance sustenance we bread every day we eat something and bread it can be a generic term for food but we eat something to keep going if we don't eat we will die And he's saying, I am the bread of life. And if you will take of me, you can have eternal life and you'll never hunger again. He told the woman at the well that I have a well that is springing up within me. And I have water to give that will offer life everlasting. If you would just drink of it, you'll never thirst again. Jesus is that bread. Every week, those priests would come and they would take of that bread and they would eat it as a symbol of their communion with God and their acceptance of his gift. But today, friends, we have Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. He has offered salvation full and free. And all you have to do is take of it. It's a gift. Now, understand this. The Bible says that only the Levites could go into the holy place. Do you know what the Bible says about those that know Jesus? That we are made kings and what? Priests. We can go to the bread freely. Now, let me give you some devotional thoughts. I give you some descriptive terms and some doctrinal thoughts. Let me give you some devotional thoughts. And here's where we really want to focus, okay? I've tried to paint a picture of what this all means. But notice this. Several years ago, about 20 years ago now, we went on a little vacation. We were down in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and we were there with Pastor Scott and Terry Shaw, and we went into a replica of the tabernacle. I don't know if you've ever been down there. Lancaster, and they got that little, you can go into the tabernacle. It's not as big. Some of you might have went to the one in Burlington. Did you ever do a trip over there and go to the one at Crossroads there, and they put up a replica? This one was smaller what impressed upon me? And let's, let's read that first. Let's read that first. Turn to Exodus chapter, I think it's 36. We'll get there. Exodus chapter 26, sorry. Exodus chapter 26. And let me show you something. I'm just going to read one verse and then we're going to jump ahead 10 chapters and we're going to read a couple verses there. This is an introductory now. God often... God will often give us a very brief summary. He'll say, here's what, I'm, here's what I want you to do. You'll remember in Genesis, he said, Here's the seven days of creation. And then he goes on two more chapters and describes them in more detail. Well, with the Israelites, he says, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a table of showbread. I want you to build a lampstand. Well, now in, goes, he goes on and gives a lot of detail about the tabernacle. And so in Exodus chapter 26 and verse 1, he says, Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten Curtains of fine twined linen, blue and purple and scarlet, with cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. Now look at Exodus chapter thirty-six. We're just going to jump ahead. We're not going to read all these ten chapters, but let's get down to the meat of it. He'll he'll bring back these curtains again. Look at verse eight. And every wise-hearted man, I never noticed that till this morning when I was reading the scripture. It was the men that wove the curtains. Some of you men should take up knitting, I guess. I don't know. Every wise-hearted man among them that wrought the work of the tabernacle made ten curtains of fine twine linen... And blue and purple and scarlet with cherubims of cunning work made he them. So God commands it in Exodus 26. And now the men begin to work on them in Exodus chapter 36. The length of one curtain was 20 and 8 cubits. And the breadth of one curtain, 4 cubits. The curtains were all of one size. And he coupled, listen to this, he coupled the five curtains on one unto another. And the other five curtains he coupled one unto another. And he made loops. Of, I'm not going to read any more. But I, I just want you to get the picture here. They put these curtains up around the holy place. And the Holy of Holies, how many curtains did they bind together? It says five and five. They're very thick. Some are blue, some are scarlet. They all represent something. Some have cherubims woven in there. And then over top of the tabernacle, we won't turn there for the sake of time, but over top of the tabernacle... They put skins, four layers of skins. Some were badger skins, others were different animals. And the badger skins would shed the water in case it rained or whatever. But here's the point I'm trying to make. When we visited that tabernacle, what struck me was how dark it was. Some of you have curtains up in your bedroom because you, you just can't handle that sunlight coming through, right? So you get those darkening. Think about it, These were ten curtains thick. Five woven together, hung in front of five others woven together. These were thick, you couldn't see. Four layers of skins over top, which shut out all the light. Out in the outer court, there was all kinds of sacrifices and going on in the daylight, but then they would enter through that curtain into the holy place, and it was pitch black. Now you might say, well, the priests must have stumbled around then. How did they find the table is showbread, and how would they go and have that communion with God? Here's how. There was a lampstand. Friend, listen, you say, How do I find this bread? Jesus, the light of the world. He's not hiding it from you. He's shining his light so you can find him. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Look what it says here. This, this just impressed upon my heart when I, when I, thought, I, I read that. And I thought, isn't, isn't that interesting that it's complete blackness that they would do this except for one thing, the light, the light. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, I'm going to wait until I catch up. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Look at verse 5. And the light shineth where? In darkness. Can you imagine a priest going into that room and the lamp had gone out? It was their job to make sure there was always oil in the lamp, that they could always see the table of showbread, that they could always find the altar of incense. But if they ever walked in and that lamp was out, they would never find that bread of life. But the Bible says Jesus' light shined in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. I like to think that the darkness was confused couldn't understand this light that was shining. It was defeated by the light. As Jesus shined into that room and lit up, they could find their way to the bread. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. Now listen which lighteth who? Every man that cometh into the world. As we consider some devotional thoughts today, I want you to first of all consider its availability. If I today could put out some bread right here on this table and say... Anybody that wants a bite, you could live forever. How many of you would be up for that? Right? I've said, you see, you see Timmy and Toby running around here? Those little baker boys? I've said before, if I could take what they have and put it in a bottle and sell it at nursing homes, I'd be a millionaire. But God says, I've got bread, I'll just give you freely. And you can have eternal life. And yet, so many don't take it. I can't find it. I can't. How do we find this bread of life? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, and I light every man. Jesus is always shining, and he's always saying, Come unto me. Come and take of this bread. You can have eternal life. But I want you to notice not only its availability, but its accessibility. Um, Marco, can you come up here for a minute? Would that be okay? This is Marco Vandenberg. And uh, he's going to illustrate this really well. All right. One thing that struck me, Marco, was that table is not built for a guy like you. Would you agree? Your, your little girl is down in our kindergarten class, right? And so they probably have desks about that size with little chairs that would go underneath. But here's what here's like I think. When, when I saw it and I measured it, and, and keep in mind, it is one inch taller than that. I began to wonder, why it's so small? The Bible doesn't say that the priests ever sat down. It says they were forever standing in the holy place. Why is it so small? You see, do you see that stain there, Marco? You know what that's from? It's from a candy dish. These off, this come out of my office. And Toby and Timmy, Toby is two years old. Do you know that he can reach that candy dish? He said, what are you talking about? That table is low enough that even a child can reach it. Man. I, I don't know... I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says, that's why I built it so short. But we're talking about full-grown men ministering in the temple, the tabernacle. And God built a little bitty table. I think it's so that even a child can reach that bread of life. All he has to do is just, Toby comes in my office every week and he's reaching up there, trying to see it so I don't see it, and he can, but he can reach them. It used to be that when those boys come in, we'd take them and we'd hide them because they'd be all over the office. It was fun for them to throw the, 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 the wrapped candies. But now we leave them right there and the, he can just reach in and he'll see me and he'll... And when I realized how short that table was, I went, wow, God built that just so even a child could reach and grab a hold of that bread of life. Now, Marco, you come over. If you were a priest in the temple, would you appreciate a taller table to work off of? Could you go ahead and take one off the table for me? Do you notice what an adult has to do? They have to humble themselves. Thank you, Marco. They have to humble themselves to take that bread. I don't know if that's why God made the table so small, but it sure made sense to me when I got thinking about it. If we're going to come to God, we have to lower our pride. We have to humble ourselves and take that bread but it's slow enough that even a child can reach it and partake of eternal life. See, that light that shined in the world wasn't just for some men, it was for all men. And that lamp that stands in the holy place was shining on the bread of life. So nobody had to fumble around in darkness anymore. They could come and every tribe of Israel could take a piece of bread and know eternal life. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes for a moment this morning. Let me ask you something today. Have you taken of that bread? I, I, I don't mean to confuse you with allegories and illustrations. Jesus Christ very plainly said, I am the bread of life. And if we will take of him, we can have eternal life. And please understand the Bible is full of illustrations, so I'm trying to explain it the best I can. He's just simply saying, if you'll just take of me, if you'll just accept me, if you'll just believe me, if you'll just have faith, understand the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. He'll give you strength. He'll give you sustenance. He'll give you life. You know, that manna in the wilderness was the only thing that kept those Israelites alive, the bread from heaven. But even Jesus said that bread didn't give them eternal life. They lived for a while, but they're all dead now. But Jesus said, But I am the true bread. I am the bread of life. And if you eat of this, you'll live forever. That was a physical bread, but this is a spiritual bread. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. It's a gift that God will give you if you'll just trust him today. That's what grace is. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And I, I'm just going to ask God to help because I just feel like I'm feeble in my attempts to explain it all. Father, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak to hearts now. There's the one here that doesn't know Christ. I pray, Lord, that you draw them to you today before it's eternally too late. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If God spoke to your heart, would you step out and come? Maybe there's some here today and say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today, I've never taken that bread. I've never accepted Christ. I don't know what it's like to have eternal life. Could I encourage you today as well that this was the bread of his presence. This was a communion with God and perhaps some of you need to draw closer to the Lord. That you just come and take that we we have the Lord's table. He says as often as you do it. And when the preacher gives out that bread, he says eat ye all of it. It's because we're to draw in communion to God. But as your one say, pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure where I'll spend eternity. I won't embarrass you. I promise you. I won't call your your name. Could I pray for you? Would you slip up your hand? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you pray for me? Could I encourage you don't leave here today without knowing for sure. Would you speak to somebody? Look for somebody with a Bible. Look for somebody that's on our staff. Somebody that will tell you. We'd be happy. We'll put you with a man with a man, a lady with a lady, just to answer any questions that you have and show you what the Bible says about knowing Jesus and knowing eternal life through him.